Let's pray. Jesus God, we, we pray that we would uh, heed the wisdom that you want to teach us this morning through your word. We would not be like those in the Proverbs who did not turn in repentance. We pray, God, that you would give us now ears to hear what you want to say and hearts that are willing to obey. In Christ's name, for his glory. Amen. You can be seated. I'm going to continue on um, today in preaching from the letter of James. And we're in James chapter 3 this morning. So I encourage you to just take a look at that in your bulletin as I go through it. Or turn in your Bibles to that passage, James chapter 3. Verses 1 through 12. And it's a challenging teaching because James is talking about how we talk, how we use our tongues. And I think it hits every single one of us here because we all talk, don't we? And he does have some challenging words to say here. I read in James Stulock's commentary, James Stulock, or George Stulock rather, was a pastor, former pastor of a church here in St. Louis, and he wrote a commentary on the book of James. And introducing James chapter 3, he tells a story of visiting a college friend, and I'm just going to read what he said. He said, um, this college friend on campus, they had together enjoyed sharing uh, personal values and philosophies and having conversations like you do in college, long, lengthy conversations about uh, philosophy and their value system. And much of it, he says, was through uh, literature, history, and music. And he caught up with this old friend and the friend invited him to his house and they listened to a piece of music. And the friend said, this music expresses my ideals of love and peace. And it was a Mahler symphony. And so they were listening together, um, George Stulock and this friend, and enraptured by the music. And uh, he says, um, we were caught up in the music and our high ideals until at a particularly moving point in the symphony, my, mo- my friend's mother broke the spell. And she entered the room and she asked a mundane question about supper time. Her innocent interruption received a fierce verbal rebuke from her husband, from her son. How dare she spoil the exquisite music? Startled and embarrassed, she retreated from the room, but the damage to our mood had been done. And then Stulak goes on and says, the damage to our illusions had also been done. What good were our, our ideals of love if we could not control our tongue enough to speak respectfully to another human being, much less... A mom. So what we say and how we say it reveals what's going on inside of us. And in this passage, James is calling our attention to the use of our tongue and he calls us as Christians to tame our tongue. And so we're going to look at that. We're going to look at the three motivations that he gives, three reasons that he gives for taming the tongue. And first of all, It's a matter of Christian maturity. This is an area of growing in Christ-likeness. He says in verse 2, For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. Now, this word perfect doesn't mean 
without sin or without fault. Not in the Greek. It doesn't mean that. James actually admits, doesn't he, that we all stumble in many ways. And so he's talking to all of us and he's including himself in this. And James, of course, we've seen this already going through James. He has a very high bar, a very high standard of what Christian behavior is to be about. And James was known in the early church as a righteous man. He was called in the early church the righteous one uh, or a, a, right, a righteous one. James the righteous was actually his title. Um, so he was known uh, for holiness and he certainly taught it. But he admits here he's not talking about complete perfection in terms of no sin or no mistakes. We all stumble in many ways. So what does he mean by the word perfect here? Well, the word perfect is in Greek. Uh, mature or complete. It's the idea of you have a goal, a direction that you're headed, a standard you're headed, and that's what you pursue. And and so it has a sense of progressing in your character, not perfection, but progressing in your character. So taming the tongue, being able to bridle the tongue is part of what it means to mature in Christ. And James starts this chapter, you notice, with an admonition to people who talk a lot in front of other people, people like me, teachers, teachers of the congregation. He says, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. And so there's a greater accountability in the kingdom of God for those who claim to represent God. And those who stand up and say these are the words of God are going to be accountable to God for their words. But this is a principle throughout the New Testament. The greater responsibility in the kingdom of God, the greater accountability before God. Jesus says to whom much is given, much will be required. Luke twelve forty eight. So I think what's going on here is there were some people in these congregations that were really wanting out of pride to have people listen to what they said. And they try to rise through the ranks and become teachers. And James says, wait a second, I want you to understand what you're getting into. Not many of you, I mean, if you're called to be a teacher or a preacher, yes, pursue that. But not many of you should want to be that because those of us who are um, will be judged with greater strictness. That's kind of a sobering thought for those of us who preach and teach. But all Christians and not just teachers are called in this passage to control their tongue. He says we all stumble. All of us stumble and all of us are called to greater maturity, Christian maturity. And then he uses a couple illustrations to make the point that if you can control your tongue by the grace of God, if you can begin to work on that area of your life, it's going to have enormous consequences for everything else. It's a small member, but it has outside, outsized rather effects. So he makes a couple of illustrations. He gives us a couple of illustrations to, 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 to draw this out. This point, he says, think about the tongue like the bit in the mouth of a horse. Horse is an enormous animal. I haven't ridden too many horses, but the times I have keenly aware that this is a massive, powerful, muscular animal. And if he gets away from me, I'm in trouble. But it only takes a pulling of the reins, a small little pull on the reins, the bit in the mouth of the horse to direct this massive, powerful creature. 
Small object, but great control. And then he uses the comparison of uh, the tongue to the rudder of a ship. Same idea. James likes to use metaphorical language. But he said, think of a rudder of a ship. Think of an enormous ship. The captain only needs to control a little part of the ship. And the, the thing will go where he wills it to go. So, small part, enormous results. Same thing with the tongue. Small member of the body. But a great consequence. Of great consequence. Well, the question for us is, if we want to grow in Christian maturity, where do we start? This is a good place to start. Start small. Start, start with, your, your, with your speech, with your tongue. Matthew Henry, the great commentator, said this. He said, the same wisdom and grace which enables a Christian to rule his tongue will enable him to rule all his actions. Again, we're not talking about perfection here, but we are talking about submitting all of our life, all of our body even, to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Jesus, in our Gospel reading, after Peter makes this great declaration, you are the Christ, you are the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, you have to take up your cross and follow me. You're going to have to die to yourself. And this is part of that dying to the self. This is part of mortification, as the old theologians spoke about it. Our speech reflects who we are, our character. And God wants to have control of our tongue. When you see this in other people's lives, when you see this in other Christians who are maybe more Christ-like or farther down the road in terms of holiness than you are, it's very attractive. When you see Christians who use their speech to encourage one another and to edify other people, and they don't gossip and they don't slander and they don't brag, they're humble. When you see that in another person, it's attractive, it's compelling. I remember one time I was uh, with several ministers. We were at a minister's conference and we, we were at dinner and we were at the table together talking about various things and the top of uh, the Middle East and Africa and the relationship between Christians and Muslims there came up. And we were students and uh, priests, young priests and deacons, and we were all pontificating about this situation. Some people were more informed than others. I was one that was not very informed, but... We all threw our two cents in. And uh, there was a, 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 an older man who was seated next to me who just kind of, he, he did talk a little bit, but he mainly kept quiet uh, through the conversation. But he indicated in the course of the conversation, a missionary in the Middle East, and he said a couple helpful things. And, and that was about it. For the most part, he just listened. Well, afterwards, he introduced himself to me and I recognize his name. I've heard his name from somewhere. So I went home and I looked him up and he was he was had been a missionary in the Middle East for 40 years. He spoke and wrote in Arabic. He had published 100 articles. He had books. He was an expert in the area that we were talking about practically. And he didn't really say anything other than just a few comments. He was humble. He listened. And I thought, if I was in that situation, I would have said, let me just give you a little information here and lecture you folks about this. But he didn't do any of that. And uh, to me, that was a great sign of humility and uh, Christian maturity. I remember what James says earlier in in this book, um, in James, uh, where was it? Chapter chapter one. Where he says in verse 19, know this, my beloved brothers, let everyone be quick to listen. 
quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. If by the grace of God we can become people like that, that's a sign of of great maturity. Now, uh, James gives us some negative reasons why we ought to control our tongue. And we know this one just by observation in life, that an unruly tongue destroys. An unruly tongue destroys. James says an untamed tongue is like a wildfire. How great a force is set ablaze by such a small fire. We have wildfires going on right now in the country, don't we? In California, seen the news about that. Had some, may even had somebody here in the first service who was from California. And he said, yeah, I've had wildfires in my backyard. I'm familiar with the destruction that can, that can happen as a result. How great a force is set ablaze by such a small fire. It just starts with a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. Harsh words, strong language here. But if we've seen the results of an unruly tongue, we know exactly what he's talking about. He likens it to a wildfire. I remember the first time Josie and I were in um, Montana after a wildfire. We were familiar with a particular area of Montana because our family lives there and we visited there quite frequently. And we're familiar with the beauty of the mountainside and the pine trees and the verdant scenery. And we turned a corner on the highway and there was the mountain that was completely charred in ashes. And there were just these charred sticks standing up. And James says that's what it's like. That's the havoc that can result, the destruction that can result from an unruly tongue. And so we've seen this, haven't we? Family members who are estranged from one another, they're not going to talk anymore. Maybe years, decades go by before they say another word to each other because of this, the sin of an untamed tongue. Churches that divide and split apart Marriages that have died or are dying because of the sins of the tongue. Cutting remarks, gossip and slander, put-downs, harsh sarcasm, verbal abuse, giving people a piece of my mind. I'm going to give them a piece of my mind and they deserve it. That's how the world thinks. But James says that's not how a Christian should use their tongue. Tame the tongue. Get it under control. There was a man who I tried to disciple for a while in our last church who had a rough upbringing. He did have a very difficult upbringing. His, his father had been, I believe, an alcoholic and abusive to him. And um, this man had been involved in some illegal activities and he just wanted a fresh start. So he came to our church and I tried to disciple him. But I remember one time he said to me in the course of our counseling, he said, my father always taught me to just say whatever's on my mind to whoever it is. Just let it out. I thought, well, that's a terrible piece of advice. And I actually told him that. I said, that's a terrible piece of advice. And not only, I mean, we're trying to learn what Christ-like behavior is. I said, it's not what Christ would want you to do. And it'll destroy your relationships. And uh, unfortunately, this, this man did not take my advice and, and eventually kind of uh, left, the, left the church. And even though he had made a commitment to Christ and the story's not over, 
but uh, but he ended up getting divorced. And the last I heard that he had done some time in jail. But he was following that advice of just let your anger out. Just unload it on people. James says an untamed tongue is actually a world of unrighteousness. It creates more and more unrighteousness. It's a forest fire. And it leads to a scorched earth. And then he says the unruly tongue is set on fire by hell. Now, we've all heard that the expression and pardon me for using it this morning, but the expression, give them hell. Well, that's what some people do in the way they talk to other people. That's exactly what they do. Give people a taste of hell. They just unleash verbally and abuse people. And Satan loves it when we do that, when we tear each other down. When families fight and churches split and marriages fall apart. So often it starts with the untamed tongue. The tongue is a restless evil full of poison, James says. So brothers and sisters, let's not let our tongue start the fire. Let's not let our tongue be the instrument of poison. To poison relationships, communities, to hurt ourselves. So James warns us against that, the destruction that comes. And then he points to the hypocrisy of a Christian who has an unruly tongue. James is concerned. We saw that from the very beginning of this series to be a doer of the word of God and not just a hearer only. Don't be double minded. Live out your faith. Walk out your faith in your everyday life. And he's talking here about doing that in terms of how we speak, speak to other people and about other people with the tongue, he says, we bless our Lord and father. And with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. This is inconsistent, he's saying from the same mouth comes blessing and cursing my brothers. These things ought not to be from the same mouth. We praise God. We bless God. We sing the hymns. We say the prayers. And then. Curse others who've been made in the image of God, the very God we were praising. Now he curses creation. You see, it's completely inconsistent. These things ought not to be, James says. A preacher, you heard this story, a preacher was doing work at a church work day and he had his hammer in his hand and he was doing some things. Parishioner kept following him around, so he finally turned to the parishioner and said, "You know, do you want to help me? What's going on?" And the parishioner said, "No, I just want to see what you say when you hit your thumb with the hammer. <laughs> I want to see what comes out of your mouth. Yeah, out of the heart, the mouth speaks, right? What we say on our lips reveals what's inside of us." James is talking here about another kind of cursing, really a more serious kind of cursing. That is cursing other people made in the consistent with the living faith in Christ. You know, to demean another person who's been made in God's image, whether that's somebody in our house, somebody we're close to or somebody we interact with, maybe at the office to talk about them, to slander them or the clerk at the store who's driving you kind of bonkers and nuts. Tempting to slander, to demean them verbally, to join in at others who are complaining about the service. 
and to demean the person who's there, that is inconsistent with being a worshiper of God who made them in his image. It's inconsistent with somebody who really believes the gospel that I'm a sinner who's saved by grace. I'm no better than anybody else. I've been saved because God the Father gave his son, Jesus Christ, to shed his blood on the cross. James says, does a spring pour forth both salt water or fresh water? Does a fig tree yield olives or grapevine figs? How then can blessing and cursing come from the same place? And again, Jesus says in Luke 6.45, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good things. So that's a question for us. What kind of things are we storing up in our heart? What are we treasuring in our heart? The good man out of the good treasure of his heart produces good things. The evil man out of the evil in his heart produces evil. Out of the heart, the mouth speaks. Luke 6.45 So, uh, how do we respond to this teaching? This is a challenging teaching. But how do we respond? Well, maybe you respond like I did this week. I thought a lot more about what was coming out of my mouth as I studied this passage of Scripture this week. Am I encouraging people? Am I building people up? God, guard my mouth so I don't slander and gossip. So there's been some conviction in my life. There's been some repentance in my life. There's been some confession. I've had to confess to someone about a harsh word spoken. How about you? Does there need to be repentance? Is there conviction? There's, there's, does there need to be confession and reconciliation in a relationship? James is warning us here. He gives some strong warnings. The unruly tongue is like a wildfire. Don't let your tongue start a fire. It's like a poison. Don't let your tongue be an instrument of poison. He says that it's, it's inconsistent with a worshiper of God. We all struggle with this. We all stumble in many ways. But let's just be clear. This is inconsistent with the worshiper of God. So let's repent and humble ourselves and ask God for the grace to grow. The positive vision is if we grow in this area, the holiness of Christ and the character of Christ begins to grow in us. Start small and ask God for the grace and the help that you need in this area of your life. Let's pray.